Welcome to Startup Hacks, a We Global podcast. We explore the stories and secret strategies that women entrepreneurs use to save time and money when bootstrapping and building their businesses. I'm your host, Fernanda Carapina, and today I'm excited to welcome our next guest, Alexia Hefty. Alexia is a Swiss-Canadian, New York-qualified lawyer and is based out of Dubai. Alexia is the founder and CEO of eGovern, which advises governments globally on transitioning to e-government delivery models and companies seeking to explore blockchain uses within their industries. Alexia is also an advisor on the FinTech Advisory Board of the Government of Bermuda. Welcome, Alexia. Thank you so much, Fernanda. How are you? I'm doing great, and I'm so thrilled to have you on the show and to um, have our listeners get the benefit of hearing your story. So I wanted to start today by asking you if you could please share a little bit about your upbringing and your background and how you um, launched your career. Absolutely. Uh, so I was born in Switzerland, as you mentioned, and I grew up in Hong Kong and um, actually grew up on a boat. Uh, funnily enough. So really? spent uh, most of my time in Hong Kong and Taiwan. Uh, since I was a little girl, my you know dream was to work in international human rights. I you know aspired since I was about 11 years old or so to work at the United Nations. Mm. And so that's really where I kind of targeted my efforts since a, you know at a very young age. And um, I chose to study political science and history as my undergraduate. Uh, because I thought that was the best way to get into essentially politics uh, if I were to work at the United Nations. And um, and then started my career uh, in all kinds of different, you know, internships and roles that I could pick up, learning from different people that, you know, um, I thought that, you know, could teach me the skills to get where I wanted to be. So, you know, I had, you know, amazing opportunities to intern at CNN, at HSBC, essentially finding my way to where, I wanted to go, but knew I couldn't because I was too young. So, you know, CNN in, in New York was really fun because you got to be, you know, in the in the midst of everything that was happening globally. Uh, so mm-hmm. that was a, you know, really great experience. And then um, essentially I ended up in New York because I was supposed to uh, actually work full time at CNN. So CNN had told me during my, my internship that they would give me a full time position. Mm-hmm. And so I, so I ended up in New York, and at the time, um, unfortunately, because of the uh, financial crisis in 2008, uh, you know, I had graduated just thereafter. And so, I, you know, I moved to New York, and they said that they wouldn't be able to give me this position because they were not allowed to hire non-Americans in kind of level entry roles uh-huh. because of, yeah, because of the, you know, the recession and, you know, what was occurring at the, in the United States at the time. So that was actually an excellent opportunity for me to jump into a bunch of things. I started working at an NGO based out of the UN uh, in New York, and uh, and that propelled me to Uganda, where I ended up working with the United Nations, very randomly, actually, and, um, and had an opportunity to really see a little bit what the organization was about and, 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 and realize that it wasn't where I wanted to be. Mm-hmm. So I was very lucky, actually, Fernanda, to to get that exposure at, you know, 23 years old uh, so that, you know, I was able to recenter my efforts. Um, but, mm. you know, the experience was really fantastic. And and that led me, um, essentially my exit from, from human rights happened in, in law school, which I, I realized basically while I was in Uganda, realized that I needed to study law to really understand how international criminal law worked, 
which mm. was my kind of passion at the time. And um, so went to law school and in my second year was deployed to Syria or on the border of Syria and realized then that, you know, what was happening in the, the, the field of international human rights law wasn't wasn't for me. And so it flipped. <laughs> and then, and wow. as shorts to kind of summarize very quickly, I, I ended up, um, you know, falling in love with tax, which was very odd. Uh, because it's super boring. But you know what made me really fall in love with tax wasn't tax. It was the professor that taught tax. She was absolutely amazing in every possible way. And she just inspired me to to work in international criminal, uh, sorry, international uh, international tax law um, to uh, just to explore, you know, what that could mean internationally. So that's where I ended up at Deloitte. And, uh, you know, soon in at Deloitte, I realized that international tax was very boring, as I should have <laughs> known. And so I had like fallen into something very randomly, which was blockchain. And I fell into it uh, again very randomly because uh, a, a consulting, uh, basically the consulting practice needed a lawyer to review something on the subject matter that was blockchain. And the topic was so fascinating the actual um, case study was so incredible that I realized, what is this? And that's mm -hmm. where essentially I got to Bitcoin. And once you start learning about Bitcoin and how it's revolutionary and uh, start exploring blockchain more, I uh, built a practice at Deloitte, which was a practice focused on um, crypto tax. And wow. that led me <laughs> to, you know, I built a very successful practice and they asked me to go to Dubai to do the same thing. And it was there in Dubai that I realized um, tax is too narrow for me. What fascinated me with my experiences at the United Nations, at you know, in tons of NGOs and working in international media outlets like CNN was working with governments and mm. how we can transform the way governments or interact with their citizens and how we as citizens are able to access services, which quite frankly in most countries is awful. Mm. And transforming that relationship using technology, primarily this technology, which I had become fascinated by, uh, which is blockchain, and taking that to really tackle some of the issues that they have. Uh, so that's, that's a little bit of the, you know, the backstory of how I got to doing what I wanted to do, or sorry, yeah. what I'm doing now um, at eGovern. Well, that's a, that's a great story. And before we jump off, because I want to kind of drill down on blockchain and cryptocurrency, because I think that's so interesting, <clears throat> is I wanted to just point out that I, I believe, and it seems like your life certainly bears it out, that, you know, your career journey is really a journey of, of exploring different options. And I always, you know, tell young professional women that it's really about ruling out options as opposed to kind of honing in on this is necessarily what I want Absolutely. because because you you kind of know what you want but then I always advocate going to big companies where you can get a lot of experience into a lot of different areas so you can say okay I like this but I definitely don't want that so you can keep narrowing your focus on your journey until you land on something that really excites you in the morning to get out of bed and dedicate your life to. Absolutely. And you know, Fernanda, I wouldn't be here today if it weren't for the 30 or 40 positions I've had, because I just name dropped big ones that you would know. But quite frankly, I've worked for absolutely, you know, tons of different people, individuals, uh, authors, uh, helped an author write a book too, actually, um, worked in a cafeteria, worked in a bakery. For me, it was again, learning about these experiences, what are these positions? 
and realizing finally that in actual fact, there is no position that is pre-written for me. Mm-hmm. Only I can write that position because mm-hmm. truthfully, every morning I wake up, Fernanda, and what I thought I was going to do the day before doesn't happen. It's a completely new and exciting, you know, plane. And that's actually what I love. I realized mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. doing all of these jobs made me realize, oh, they're all great. But how can I put them all, package them all up to do my very own? And that's essentially what e-govern is. So, so let's talk about e-govern. So uh, I just wanted to... Um take a few steps back and if you could share with the audience uh, what was going on in your head at the time when you decided okay I'm going to leave this really nice fabulous job with benefits at Deloitte making probably a decent salary and go out on my own was it kind of um, disappointment or frustration with the workspace or just a real desire to craft your own path and and spread your wings into different types of work and was it scary yeah, Fernanda, great questions. I think uh, it was a little bit of a, a couple of different things. For sure, frustration for anyone who's worked in a very large corporation, and, and that includes the United Nations, by the way, for any listeners whose dream it is to work there. Big corporations have so much bureaucracy, and it is very tiring. In addition to that, um, you know, for me, I was very adamant about focusing on governments and blockchain. Part of the reason I had moved to Dubai was because Dubai, the government in the UAE has really focused on blockchain as integral to the future of their government. 50% of government transactions must be on the blockchain by next year. That's wow. actually, that's mind boggling, right? No other government saying that. And they're not just saying that, they're putting the money behind it. So mm. when I went to Dubai, my my dream was to say, let's work on these government projects. Let's, you know, apply for them because we have the, we have people who can do that. We can deliver on those projects. But then what I realized was, you know, the backing of the local firm wasn't necessarily there to actually build what I'd envisioned or I thought I was going over to build. Um, in addition, you know, lots of different things happened in my life. I happened to have uh, some partners that had come to me at the right time and said, look, let's, you know, focus on this opportunity. There were actual opportunities that were live at the time. Those actually fell through right after uh, I took on eGovern. Mm. Uh, I started eGovern and, and in that, you know, at that time it was very scary. And it was very scary for a number of reasons. It's scary because um, I was, you know, a newfound entrepreneur and it's one thing being trained in large international organizations. It's another thing having to, you know, jump around in the landscape that is, you know, the startup world. Mm-hmm. But in addition to that, you know, I, I was recently pregnant at the time. And so I had left uh, a, you know, very well-paying job with all kinds of benefits. And now I was, you know, starting my own journey and recently mm-hmm. pregnant. So that was something that, you know, was very scary at the time. But I think... What definitely very what 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 helped a lot was um, I have you know a very uh, supportive uh, network that is you know from the home to the work so my mm-hmm. partner is very supportive and then at the at the um, you know network level uh, women who and I would say you know both women and men but but I would say stronger uh, a push from the women around me who are their own bosses who are entrepreneurs uh, some of which are part of the organization uh, you know we global that that, that you mm-hmm. run, um, and women that really help, you know, push you up. So pull, sorry, pull you back up when mm-hmm. you're feeling like it was this the right decision. Cause I could go back anytime to the big firms. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I was, you know, questioning, should I go back? Because this is really scary, but in actual fact, this is so exciting. And, 
um, like I said, you know, having the amazing people pushing me, bringing me up helped along the way, especially as you know, Fernanda, you know, being pregnant makes you a little, a little emotional. So it especially <laughs> helped. <laughs> it's always good. I'd like to add that it's always helpful to have a strong network around you when you're having a morning in the fetal position, right? I think that every founder every once in a while is just like, oh my God, what have I done? <laughs> Absolutely. Um, so let's, I, I'm absolutely nuts about blockchain and cryptocurrency. And I, my, my education in this area is pretty, is pretty small. So I would love it if you would explain to the listeners uh, kind of blockchain 101 and cryptocurrency 101. Oh my gosh, that's, that's a tough one. Uh, what is, you know, um, so we can start with, with blockchain. I guess I'll start with where I started with blockchain because it really, it really blew my mind. I had a project come up at Deloitte, and this was, again, the consulting practice that had come, said they needed a lawyer because there was this project that had come up that with a large gold company that wanted to tokenize unmined gold. And uh, so I, you know, I had no idea what tokenization meant. Uh, and and I thought, I, you know, I started doing research in the field and it really came down to this technology called blockchain. And what they were trying to do was say, look, if we could tokenize gold, unmined gold, we don't have to take it out of the ground. Mm -hmm. We will just sell it via a token. Mm -hmm. And that token ties your right to that gold sitting in the ground. And so I'd, well, you know, I'm in law. I have no idea how that occurs because I didn't learn this in law school. So, you know, I went down the journey of understanding um, what tokenization was. And that brings you essentially to Bitcoin. And before I go into Bitcoin, I'll say the reason why I even journeyed this through this, because usually you can just do the research, pump out the you know project, and and that's it. Um, I ventured through this because I realized, you know, I'm a human rights. I was very much still focused on human rights. I'm also an environmentalist. I thought to myself, wait, if you have an industry saying that they are going to not mine gold, thereby not infringing, not um, destroying indigenous land, because that's usually the case. It often sure. happens in, in places. Plus, you're not going to harm or create, you're again, not going to create any type of harm to the environment or to public health, which mm -hmm. are often the cases related with mining. Mm -hmm. But, you know, and the industry still gets to benefit. What is all of this? Mm -hmm. So you have to go back to Bitcoin because Bitcoin starts it all. Mm -hmm. And Bitcoin creates this cryptocurrency, which today everybody knows about because uh, of the price, I assume. Uh, Fernanda, do you hold any Bitcoin? I don't. I have to call you after this. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, um, so, so yeah, it all starts with Bitcoin, and it comes down to, um, you know, the ability for you to transfer value peer to peer without the need for an intermediary, i.e., a bank, while creating, you know, while allowing for transparency, efficiency, and trust. And it really comes down to trust, which is so critical. In mm -hmm. every aspect of your life, Fernanda, you rely on the tr on trusting other parties. Mm -hmm. You rely on trusting parties from when you bought your house. If you bought your house, uh, you had to rely on nine or 10 or 12 intermediaries from the bank uh, providing you with the mortgage to the notaries, to the lawyers, to all of that, right? Mm -hmm. And trust comes down to... Um, it's very difficult to trust third parties you don't know. Mm -hmm. And so Bitcoin created the opportunity to do that and also created the opportunity to bank the unbanked. And that's something that I've definitely witnessed 
working in Uganda, which is where I was when I was working with NGOs and the United Nations. Even I myself was unbanked there. And I'm banked in Switzerland and Canada and Hong Kong, but I couldn't get banked there. And it's fascinating to see how, you know, the entire um, global south really has been left out of the financial system. And Bitcoin has created an avenue to include them. And like, you know, that's that's obviously these these topics that just it's fascinates me. The, mm-hmm. You know, the nitty and gritty behind the, you know, the, the nuts and bolts behind how the technology works. You know, you should really turn to, you know, some of the best developers that we have that, you know, are building the, the protocols that we rely on. Mm-hmm. But, you know, from Bitcoin, you essentially have a very big transformation, which is the move to smart contracts. Smart contracts are basically if-then statements. So if X occurs, then Y will occur. And a smart contract allows you to execute an if-then statement from the very beginning. So in a contract, for example, you can allow for something to happen if you know another item happens. So instead of having elaborate contracts where you need a lawyer to execute or you know a notary in between, you can essentially have a smart contract that does it automatically. And that's really fascinating because we suddenly see how a lot of intermediaries are removed in supply chains. And supply chains can go from, you know, you know, moving product to government supply chains, from you going to, uh, you know, get a police certificate for, you know, I'm not sure if they do this in the United States, but if you need a police certificate to perhaps become a board member, um, that can be self-executing. Right. So it doesn't require you to suddenly wait two weeks for all of these intermediaries in between to do A, B and C, to verify, to check, uh, you know, a database that that, you know, this this information exists. It can essentially be pre-coded to allow you to access your information immediately. And more importantly, one of the things that, you know, blockchain is very interesting for when it, when we talk about citizens uh, interacting with their governments and citizens interacting with every aspect of society. So whether it's banks or, you know, at the grocery store or at a bar uh, where perhaps, let's say, at the bank, they check your identity. At the bar, they check your identity to make sure you're not 20 uh, as a 21 in the United States. Mm-hmm. Um, these things you, you realize suddenly um, that with blockchain, you can also start protecting some of the data that you have that you've just been given off your whole life. Fernanda, you have provided your information to God knows how many institutions at this point, right? Exactly. And you continue to do that, right? You continue to ver- you continue to ask, uh, sorry, to verify. You ha- you have to you have to continue to verify who you are to mm-hmm. all of these par- third parties who technically, first of all, don't need the information that you you know provide them with, and 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 in addition to that, you know you're you're essentially distributing data that needs to be protected. Blockchain mm-hmm. allows you as well to, you know, start thinking about releasing not not data in and of itself, but rather, um, you know, zero, uh, zero, pro- zero knowledge proof allows you to do something where, for example, if you were to go to a bank and you need to verify yourself, rather than providing your lease and your identity card, your passport, and, you know, whatever else you need to provide, utility bill. Instead, you would only need to uh, essentially provide a yes, saying you have met all of these uh, requirements that they need, and all of those will be verified by third parties, such as governments or mm. other financial institutions. So, you know, blockchain is is fascinating in that it creates different avenues. On the financial side, you're talking about bringing in 
parties that have been left out of the financial system through cryptocurrencies that aren't necessarily regulated by financial institutions or governments. And then on the flip side, from a data perspective, it allows you to protect certain aspects of your data by pre-coding certain parts of information that's verified already by other parties without, again, requiring a full distribution right. of your data. That makes perfect sense. I'm going to have to have you do a six-part series for us on We Global about this. Um, it's so interesting. Well, let's talk. Let's talk a little bit um, about the in the early days when you launched your company and you were, um, you know, scaling your business, et cetera, uh, which I'm sure is probably something that you continue to do. What are what are some um, time saving and money saving strategies that you would recommend to founders out there who are trying to bootstrap their business that you use that you found were effective? <laughs> um, so, you know, one thing that I would say has really helped me and that has really come about from learning to delegate, which I'm terrible at, or which I used to be terrible at, but I'm, I'm starting to learn, has been kind of bringing on interns, actually. Mm -hmm. So I've recently brought on um, four interns, and I recently, actually just last week, brought on another two. Uh, and I've realized that um, it's actually an incredible way to get interns learning about uh, topics that they would never be able to learn about very practically. So engaging with governments, engaging with clients on a daily basis, but also in incredibly helpful. Because if you think about, you know, the relationship, uh, you essentially create an, an opportunity for, again, the intern. But on our end, it's not exactly a very expensive way, uh, you know, to bring on staff. So one of the things I'm doing with internships right now is I'm looking for talent to bring on full time. But Previously, I think, you know, traditionally, even at big firms like Deloitte, you look at someone's CV, you interview them two times, and then you have to hire them or not. Mm -hmm. In this instance, what I find fascinating is you don't need to do that. I bring the interns on. They learn it a lot. It's, the cost is extremely low. But six months down the line, if they have proven themselves in that time period, then they have an opportunity to come on full time. So at that point, I've actually bootstrapped my company. It's not expensive but I know the talent I'm bringing in. Mm -hmm. And that's been incredibly helpful uh, from a you know, time-saving and cost-saving perspective as well. Completely agree with that. And also not only are you providing, as you said, practical experience, but also augmenting their education in a very boots on the ground way that you don't really get in an institutional setting as a university. Absolutely, Fernanda. And you know what? The person that I first brought on, who is now a full-time staff member, he had been accepted to University of Cambridge first. He turned that down. He then got accepted to law school, and he has recently turned that down because he realizes that he's learning more from this opportunity than purely going to school. So what he's going to do instead is applying for a part-time master's in economics that allows him to continue working at eGovern because it's brought him so much value yeah. in all of five months that he's been with us. I, I mean, I honestly feel that that's the future of education. So that's, um, yeah, because, you know, technology and the world is changing so rapidly that there's no way that universities can keep up um, unless you have innovation centers within them, which is a whole other topic. And that's another reason why at We Global we have a whole studentpreneur area because of that collaboration. So we're unfortunately running out of time and I this we could go on for a part two very easily, but I want to close out by 
uh, giving you an opportunity to answer this question, which is, if there was a piece of advice that you could give to an entrepreneur who's listening today that you wish you had when you started out, what would that piece of advice be? I think it would be jump into every experience that you can and don't always try to formalize things, whether that's trying to get a job, uh, you know, position straight away. Just jump in, do research for something you're passionate about. If you see someone writing about something and you'd like an in on, in working with them, do a little bit of research and send them an email with that research because honestly, that gives you an in with so many people. And if I had had the, you know, had this knowledge that I wasn't bothering people, but that I could create significant value by doing, you know, random research that was still in my interest and sending it off to people. I think I would have probably gotten a lot of experiences that would have pushed me in a different direction. Not to say that, you know, I'm not very thankful for the past, you know, 12 years that I've done all kinds of things, but I think that, um, you know, I probably would have taken a different route and I would have brought to entrepreneurship a lot earlier. Yeah, it makes sense. Random acts of kindness that bring value to other people can go a long way to getting doors to open. It's true. In an authentic way, not kind of in a LinkedIn way. <laughs> oh, no, that's awful. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, Alexia, it was wonderful speaking to you today. Thank you for being on Startup Hacks. Your insights are so helpful and so educational. I'm sure our listeners really appreciated to learn more about the work that you're doing. And if they'd like to reach out to you, where can they connect with you? Um, by email, alexiadegovern.com, or by WhatsApp, and uh, perhaps you can provide them with my information. Okay. And your URL is? Uh, www, my, my company's? Yes, yes. At www.egovern.com. Got it. Okay. Well, thank you again, and tune in next week for more Startup Hacks. We have another great show you won't want to miss on the secret female founder strategies that can save you time and money when building your business. This podcast is brought to you by Women Entrepreneurs Global, the first startup studio and digital do-it-yourself startup platform for women. For more information on our guests, this podcast, and many other female founder programs, please visit womenentrepreneurs.global. I'm your host, Fernanda Carapina. See you next week.